morning everyone. We have two Bible readings this morning, both from John's Gospel. The first one comes from John 20 verses 30 to 31 which describes the purpose of John's Gospel and you'll find that on page 1088 of the Church Bibles. So I'll begin with that one and then we're going back to John chapter 1. John 20 verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Would you now turn back with me to page uh, 1062, and we're going to read together John chapter 1. I'll read it if you follow John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Morning, everyone. Let me just say a very warm welcome to you, particularly if you are a guest. And let me just say, if you parked in the car park and you got a more rigorous examination today by Mac, um, today's probably the worst day for car parking in Manly. Uh, on a Sunday morning with a cold classic on. And I saw him at 10 past 7. I said, Mac, just make sure they are actually coming to church. 
And uh, apparently he was giving quizzes. Tell me who the senior minister's name is. So uh, anyway, full marks for Mac. It's only like his second or third week on and he's been thrown into it with the Cole Classic. And, uh, but very protective of making sure you guys got the car park. So let's pray uh, as we start. Father, we do thank you for the joys of living in Manly. And uh, we do pray, Lord, that your word would bring us joy this day as we begin this journey through John's Gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, today we start this journey through John's Gospel. It's a great book. And if I can just echo what Andrew said at the start, what we want to do through the series is find out if there are people who've been particularly touched by John, you've got some favourite verses that you'd like to share. Uh, We'd love to hear that in the congregations. And so please do let us know if there's particular verses that have really touched and transformed your life. And uh, just put put it on a Connect card or come and see Scott, myself or Cezanne and we'll make sure we try and weave that in over the next nine weeks. question I want to start with as we begin is this, who are you following? And who's the one that brings you life? Now, die. there's someone greater than Bruce, okay? But I just wanted to uh, begin by talking about Bruce Springsteen. We have a real devotee down here at the front, Di Aitken. Um, I won't ask how many times you're going, Di. Um, We don't need to answer, it's all right, because you have not got the record. You don't have the record. Um, This guy, who's from the Northern Beaches, Bill Donoghue, I think has the record in Australia for the many times he's been to see Bruce Springsteen. Have a guess. 113. Now... That number is about to go to 125. He's going to every single concert in Australia. I don't want to know what the cost of that is, travelling around, ticket prices, etc., etc. But the writer who wrote about the boss, Bruce, uh, Bruce Springsteen, not me, uh, I'm not the boss, (laughs) said this about his concerts, and he's legendary in terms of his concerts. They say his live events surpass the record of music, which is quite unique at one level because often the record of music is better, but there's a sense of which uh, a Bruce Springsteen concert is close to heaven, though I think heaven will be far better. Um, And it said, this is the church of Bruce Springsteen that the crowds go to, where he connects musically, spiritually, and even physically. Springsteen is no longer a musician, he's a belief system. He brooks no in-between, you're either in or you're out. In other words, you're a devotee following Bruce or you're just not quite there. And Bill Donahue, well, he thinks he is the boss and he's going to every one of them. And I raise that because it's worth asking the question, who do you follow in life? And who's going to give you life and not just life for one night at a concert? I'm sure whoever goes is going to have a great time. But life continues on after the last note has finished. And we're studying John's Gospel this term. It's a wonderful Gospel and a very favourite Gospel amongst many people. And I want to say just a few words about this uh, Gospel as we start because in many ways it raises the question of who are we following as we go through John's Gospel. And what we've called the series is Find Life because that is what John wants us to do as we go through his Gospel is to find life in Jesus Christ. But I'm going to give you just a couple of unique features about John that you may not be familiar with as we start this series. Uh, John is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Uh, But it's worth saying, unlike Matthew, Mark and Luke, his is quite different. And the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, Sin, optic, two Greek words put together, optics, 
visual, your optics. It means you see together. And there's no doubt Matthew, Mark and Luke, in their own experiences and the oral traditions they drew on, saw together a picture of Jesus that they wrote down. John had a very different view, if I can put it. Now, they're both legitimate, they're both historical, they're both accurate, but he comes at it from a different angle to what we're used to with Matthew, Mark and Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke together, who saw together and wrote, in a sense, their story of the Lord Jesus. And Matthew, Mark and Luke have differences, but yet there's similarities to them. And they're quite different to what John does. And it's worth saying, one of the features in terms of their difference is this. Um, There are significant events in the ministry of Jesus that Matthew, Mark and Luke include, but John leaves out. And that's not to say that they're not important. Matthew, Mark and Luke have recorded them. And I suspect John probably was aware and probably read or knew of the material they were in. He wanted to bring his own insights and tell his story, historically accurate, in bringing the narrative of Jesus' story to the world. And so you haven't got Jesus' birth, you haven't got the baptism, you haven't got the temptation in the wilderness, there's no Last Supper, there's no agony in Gethsemane, and there's no ascension. And so it's a different view we get of the Lord Jesus. Um, For those who love parables, but it's kind of like bad luck, um, there are none. Now, if you want the most of Jesus' teaching, go to Matthew's Gospel. There's five separate blocks of teaching in Matthew. There's none in John. Another feature, um, there's about 40 total miracles recorded in terms of different styles and different ones, some are repeated. John only has seven. Now if you look at Matthew, Mark and Luke, the miracles typically are shorter in their descriptions. John is longer and more in-depth. And those seven, the number of totality and the number of God, is what he structures this book around. And he's done that very deliberately. It's not that he's not aware of the others, but he deliberately has written his story of Jesus in a particular way around these seven great miracles. Now, the fifth thing to note is he writes as the beloved. And you've got 12 disciples who were with Jesus. They were part of a merry band of around about 72, Luke talks about in terms of who travelled with Jesus. You had the 12 who were called out for, if I can say, to give in special authority, though all 72 had an authority given as well in the mission, you see. But of those 12, there's three that are most close. And then there is one who John describes as the beloved. And that's him. And as Andrew said at the start of the service, you really have Jesus' best friend writing this story. It's a quite remarkable document that we're going to go through. It is the best friend of Jesus writing his recollection of this incredible friend and Lord that he writes about. And just to give you one insight into that, we won't get to it this year, but on the cross in John's Gospel, just before he dies... Jesus asks his good friend John to take care of his mother after he's gone. And you see this incredible moment of um, empathy and humanity at work here as the son, Jesus, with his mother in front of him dying, knows that he cannot look after his mother. Joseph has died. The mother will be by herself. And he looks to John, his best friend, and says, will you look after her? And you see the incredible humanity of Jesus and the closeness of the bond with John. And that's where John writes from, this deep affection. This is not a person who is, if I can say, emotionally distant. 
He's rather close and personal. It's a great read. And I want to encourage you, if you want to do one thing this week, go home and read John's Gospel, cover to cover, and just see how the book unfolds. It's a great story. We're only doing John chapter 1 to 4 because I don't want to rush over it. There's so much great material here. We're going to keep coming back to it over the next few years. The key message is at the end. If you want to have a look, if you can get your Bibles open, uh, just turn up to John chapter 20, uh, which was a very brief part of the reading. And we're on page 1088. And you get these words there at the end. John, sorry, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And so he's not unaware of all the things that took place. I mean, he was one of his closest, the closest friends. He knows all the stuff that's gone on. And he could have written lots of stuff about Jesus and lots of miracles. But he said, but these are written. In other words, what I've put down is deliberate, it's intentional, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Two key things John wants you to work out, that this is the promised king that all the people of God have been waiting for, but he's more than that, he's actually the Son of God. And if you put your belief in him, you will find life, life eternal in his name. That's why he's writing. He wants us to find life, he wants us to follow Jesus. And that's the question we've got to ask ourselves It's the question Bill Donahue was asked and he said, I'm going to follow the boss, Bruce Springsteen. But let me say, the boss will one day die. Uh, He'll get old and croaky before that. He won't be able to perform concerts. He's a legend, but the boss cannot save you. Though he can give you a good time on Tuesday night out at the stadium. He can't save you and he cannot give you eternal life. But the promise of this gospel is Jesus can. And it's a life that is transformative. You see, Christianity at its best is compelling for the way life flows through the veins of the followers of Jesus. The world will compel us in all sorts of ways with its flash and glitter. That can be very attractive. With the fortunes that you can earn but yet be manipulated by with the fame that people seek to have a name in this world, but yet can intoxicate you. But the Christian faith jettisons all those categories when you come to Christ. And it calls you to rather give your allegiance to him. Not to what is flashy or famous or a fortune but to following him and when you see people who have connected with Christ in a real and deep way, there is a richness and a depth to their lives, a calmness and a contentedness, a love and a strength, a peace and a joy, a beauty you could say and a difference from the surrounding culture around us that is all about acquisition and gain, not service. And a difference that the Bible calls holiness that is somewhat compelling. Even if you're opposed to the Christian faith. This is what Jesus does to us and he transforms our life in such a powerful way. That it's compelling. There is new life to be found in the Lord Jesus. But lastly, this is a book that has modern relevance. And I want to say, as we go through this series, it's relevant for everyone here and people who are not here. Um, If you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, this is a book for you. 
Because you never move away from the gospel and you never move away from Jesus. The gospel of our Lord Jesus converts us. It's also what grows us. It's what matures us. You don't have anything other than Jesus, like Jesus plus this. It's just Jesus who grows us. The Spirit's work is to help us understand more of Jesus and believe him more. We'll see that as we go through. And so grow deeper in your understanding with Jesus is what this gospel is going to help us do and be transformed and receive more life in his name. But for those who are seeking here, and you may be new, it's wonderful we're doing this because this is such a great book. Uh, Someone once said, this is a book that is deep enough for elephants to swim in and shallow enough for a baby not to drown. And there's such wonderful truths. The most famous verse in the Bible comes from John, what is it? John 3.16. You'll sometimes see it sporting events, just the letters or numbers, 3.16, which is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And all through this book, there are gems for us to take hold of. And you see, this is a book, if you're seeking, that will actually help you come to faith and to know the living God. But I want to say it's also relevant for people who are not here as well. And the reason I say that is because one of the things it's going to do is it's going to equip us to learn this gospel well so we can actually share it with our friends. And one of the great ways we've begun to do that is through reading the word one-to-one with people with the um, Yellow Book series. And Richard, who has pioneered this, is going to be here next week to preach on John chapter 2 and just to encourage us about reading John's gospel with others. And if you would like to read a gospel, John's gospel with someone and to help them, Do let us know on the Connect cards. Barry, myself, love to be in touch. If you'd like someone to read with you and help you understand, John, let us know. We can get in touch and find someone who can read with you. It's a great book. And so there's great relevance for all of us. But what about this passage before us today, John 1, 1 to 18? Uh, Let me just say a couple of things. Uh, We're on holy ground here today. Um, This is one of the most profound passages, I think, in the New Testament. And it's an introduction passage that John writes. It's a very different style to the rest of the narrative, which picks up at verse 19, and you kind of get into the flow of the narrative at 19 as John the Baptist enters the scene and introduces the coming of the Lord Jesus. Uh, These first 18 verses are far more poetic and prosaic in their form and nature. And because of the beautiful way the language is used, it's quite profound. And what are we going to say about it? As we look at these verses today, well, there's two ways we can look at this verse, uh, these verses. You can either get up close and personal and look at all the details, or you can stand back and admire. And I want to give you an illustration uh, from art. I often use sport, I thought I'd use art today. Um, Now, when I was younger, about 22, um, as a young sportaholic, loved my sport, you would not have said I was a cultured guy growing up. Fair comment. Uh, And I went off to Europe with uh, my best friend. And Europe is not a place devoid of culture. It's just redolent with it everywhere. And I was new to the whole art gallery scene. I don't think I'd actually been in one before I went to Europe. And at about three months into the trip, the highlight was going to Chelsea's home ground and watching Chelsea play Liverpool and standing in the bleachers with the Chelsea fans. And it was an incredible experience. Um, And I remember Craig Johnson, the Aussie, was playing for Liverpool. We dare not support him or even mention his name uh, because of the way he was being ridiculed by the crowd. It was not polite. um, And we just thought, we'll cheer for Chelsea today. Um, And it was an incredible experience. And that was kind of the highlight. But then I went to a place called the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. 
I remember coming in and there was just this painting on the wall that just captivated you. And it's called Nightwatch, Nachtwatch. And there was just this group of people sitting around the edge of the room staring at it. Now, it's an incredible painting, the most famous of Rembrandt's. Enormous. And you can look at it two ways. There's all sorts of details about this which I could go into. One is fascinating. Um, see that guy there? He's a, one of the um, soldiers. But just behind him, there's a face. Can you see the eyes peeking through? What would happen with paintings like this is you would have people commission them and they would pay the artist and 18 different people commissioned it. They're all in the painting. Rembrandt kind of had a bit of a social streak, added some others to it. (laughs) But he would often sneak his own face in. And art critics believe that's probably Rembrandt's eyes and beret that you can see just poking through in the painting. It's this kind of cheeky look. Yes, you guys are all there, but I'm in the painting too. Incredible little detail. If you get up close, you can look at it, but you miss the grandeur of the painting if you're up the front. You're also disturbing everyone else's view. And I remember, no, that's not the way I want to look at it. I just sat back for half an hour. And I'd never done that before in a gallery, just sat there. And if you ask my wife, I'll go sometimes to the uh, New South Wales Art Gallery, and we kind of work like this. We go, we start together, and I finish at the cafe, And I have a coffee and I read the paper and I'll meet Kath in about an hour's time. (laughs) And we're both happy. And she just takes far longer. Let me just say, when we're in Europe, I used to take longer by the end of it. Something's happened to me. Anyway, you stood back in this room and you just saw this majestic picture. But you had to stand back to see it. And that's what I want to do this morning as we look at John chapter 1 verse 18. And there's no doubt there's some incredible details here. Um, one that's controversial detail is in the very first verse. Have a look at John chapter 1, we're at page 1062. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you ever talk to someone of JW background, they will try and convince you that there's been a grammatical mistranslation of the last phrase in that first verse. And they would want you to read, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. In other words, he's not the God, he's just another sort of God. Now, for all sorts of reasons, I could sit and talk to you about why I think they don't understand Greek grammar and syntax. Uh, There's a page of notes just on that one little phrase of my own. Um, If you wanted me to give it to you, I'd need to make it three pages to kind of help it be readable. And so you can burrow down on the details. And that's one particular. There's a fascinating detail in verse 14 of chapter 1. And it's a very rich detail that's worth noting. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Now, the word dwelling in the original language is literally the word to pitch a tent. Now, why would you use that word? Well, John is writing in the first instance to a Jewish audience, though his book has a worldview to it and a world audience uh, in mind. And Israel, as they journeyed out of slavery to the promised land, had the incredible privilege of God travelling with them. And how did God presence himself with the people? was actually in a tent and a tent was pitched in the middle of the people where God would dwell and that was the tabernacle and the word literally meant to pitch a tent or to tabernacle and that's the exact word that John uses here to describe the entrance of the Lord Jesus into the world. Jesus 
well, let me read it to you and put it in the colloquial. The word became flesh and pitched his tent amongst us. Fascinating detail. What's he saying? God came and dwelt with us, as our translation has. And I could spend hours going through details. Let me say, that's why we've got Bible study groups. To actually look at the details and be amazed and transformed by them. And if you're not in a group, it's a great time to join one. Please do put it on your Connect cards or go and speak to Scott after the service or one of the leaders, Kath, for the Inspire group for the ladies or Cezanne or whatever. What we need to do is step back and have a look at this incredible passage from a distance, I think, to get its grandeur. And if you've got your Bibles there, just look with me. Verse 1 starts before time. Verse 1 starts before space. Verse 1 starts before matter, in the beginning. Now, you might think those words sound like maybe a fairy tale. In the beginning, there was this. Now, these words are very poignant and deliberate. If you go to the very first words of all of Scripture... In Genesis chapter 1, they are the words that begin the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning before there was time. In the beginning before there was space. In the beginning before there was matter, there was God. And he created the heavens and the earth. And John very deliberately starts John's gospel this way, not in the desert, like Mark does, not in prophecy, like Luke does, not in a genealogy the way Matthew does. No, he takes us right back to before there was time, before there was space, before there was matter. In the beginning was the Word. That's the Jesus he wants to introduce us to. It's the Jesus who was there in the beginning as the Word. He is the Word. And in the beginning was the Word. He was. He always was. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. In the beginning. And it's worth noting verse 1 starts us outside of time. In the beginning. Yet by verse 14 we are anchored historically in a particular point of time. When the Word pitched His tent amongst us. When the Word came and dwelt within first century Israel, at a particular time and moment in human space, history and matter. The Word became flesh. And you could say verse 1 starts with a fairly philosophical figure, the Word, and I'll tell you what, there's been a lot of ink spilt on this phrase, the Word. What is the Word? We need to take our understanding from Genesis because that's where John is drawing our attention to. But you wonder, is it like Star Wars and the Force? Well, no, in verse 17 we discover that John is talking about the Word who became flesh and is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a particularity to this Word. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's the profound thing. That the Word who was with God in the very beginning has come and dwelt with us in a particular way, in a particular form. And he's knowable. He's not some unknowable God. 
But he was a real man that John shared the most intimate of friendships with. And he's a real man who is the Son of God, who's alive today, whom we can know. And if you ask the question, can you know God, which I'm coming to, verse 18 is profound. Have a look at it. No one's ever seen God. That's a question people often ask. Well, show me God. Where is he? Ever heard that question asked? Well, John answers it. God, the one and only son, but God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the father has made him known. And what this introduction is wanting us to do is just to step back, like I had to step back at the Reeks Museum and see Nightwatch from a distance. And John is saying to us, just step back and look at this figure called Jesus. He is the one who was there at the very beginning, before time, space and matter existed. And he was known as the Word, he was the Son. And he's come up close and personal to you. And he's come into your existence so that you can no longer say that you cannot know God. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's what John is wanting to do to start this journey. To say, everyone get your eyes on this figure and see what we make of him. Because what I'm trying to do is convince you, by the end of the time you finish reading this story... You realise he's not just any man, but he's actually the Christ. He's the long-awaited king. And he's the son of God. And if you put your trust and belief and follow him, you will have life in his name. You see, the profound thing for me is about this introduction is there's a number of key questions that everyone through all time has asked as they've reflected on questions of life and death and meaning. The first one is this, the question of God, who or what is God? And John is saying to us, the Apostle John, well, if you want to answer that question, look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And this Word has become flesh, verse 14. He's made His dwelling. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then those closing words, which I just mentioned, no one's ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who's at the Father's side, has made him known. The eternal Son of God has become incarnate and revealed the Father to us. Do you want the question answered, who is God? Look no further than Jesus and you'll get an answer. And he will reveal a God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit to you that you will meet in John's Gospel. But you will access that God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second big question people ask is, where do we come from? It's a question of creation. It's a massive question. I mean, how was the world made? Where do we come from? Who made this place? I know one answer is evolution, that we are merely a product of chance. I find it a very depressing answer, personally, because it means this world that we live in is random. There is no sense of purpose or meaning built into the created order, but rather we are products of chance and the strong thrive and the weak will disappear. And it doesn't account for the sense of beauty and purpose and love that we 
so intimately feel. It doesn't account for the sense of searching our hearts for meaning and purpose in life. As Andrew said at the beginning, quoting quoting Augustine, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. And John says this in the context of that question, verse 3, all things were made through him, without him nothing was made that has been made. And you see, our purpose in life comes from the fact that we are made by God. And we're made by the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're made in his image. All of us, whether we know him or not, are still image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the stamp on humanity that separates us from the rest of the created order. And it comes from Jesus. Another question, where is life to be found? What we started with. It's a question everyone wants an answer to. Where will you find life in this world? As I said before, Bill Donahue thinks it's with the boss. Good luck to him. John says in verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now that is a bold claim that you can point to this person called Jesus and say there's life in him. And it's the light of humanity. Verse 9 says, the true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. Do you want to know life? Come to Jesus and give your life to him and he will fill you with his life. And it's a life that will transform you. I speak from personal testimony. And I'll share later in the series about my favourite verse because it relates very much to this. As someone who was young and purposeless and wondered what the meaning of life was, Jesus has changed my life. And I love John 10.10 where Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And then you've got the very important question of where do I belong or how do I belong? All of us need to have a sense of belonging somewhere. It's innate in us as human beings. We're created to be in community. And the incredible thing is we will always feel disconnected at some level when we are separate from God. And John knows that. And in this introduction, he flags the reality of what Jesus does to bring us into fa- in his family. Verse 10 through to 13 He was in the world, that's the word, the Lord Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, and so the word was speaking through the prophets, all through the Old Testament, at work, and yet it did not recognize God. He came to that which was his own, John says, but his own did not receive him. The people of Israel did not recognize the coming of the word of God, the Son of God, in the person of the Lord Jesus. Yet, verse 12, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, In other words, those who had their eyes open and said, yes, you're the one. He gave the right to become children of God. And the word that is used there for right is the word for authority. And you see, those who have their eyes opened, he says, children not born of natural descent, not of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. In other words, God works in our hearts and minds and opens our eyes so we can see Jesus for who he really is, the living word of God, the son of God. And we receive him as our Lord and Saviour. He says, I give you the right to be my children. And I don't know if you ever thought about what it would belong like to belong to the royal family or a royal family. Um, it's an interesting family, the royal family, if I could speak politely. 
But one thing about it is, they have incredible rights and privileges, don't they? They're children of the Queen. And you see, when the living God says to us through John's Gospel, that's what Jesus does. He opens our eyes so that we become his children. And he gives us the privilege, the authority, to actually be his child. We're not orphans on the outside, we're not slaves, we're actually children. And we find belonging with him and his family. And church at its best, I know it can be bad, but church at its best is profound in the sense that we actually are family from all sorts of backgrounds and stages and races and places in life, yet we are one in Christ. And you see, this is the big picture view of John's Gospel. What he's saying is this, Jesus is the answer to all our questions. He shows us who God is. He shows us where meaning and purpose is to be found as the Creator. He shows us where true life is to be accessed, it's through following Him. And He helps us belong in God's family and actually is the one that enables us to be a part of that family. And I want to just stop and ask the question, who are you following and where are you seeking to find life? Because that's the question for us as we go through this series. And I want to finish with a story about someone who had their life transformed just to illustrate this great reality of what John's Gospel talks about. And the guy on the screen is a friend of mine from past ministry. And I remember meeting Mark. He was the station master at Dapto Railway Station for many years. And he wandered into a service that I was involved running on a Saturday night. Uh, We'd had a TV advertisement we used to run. Uh, This is in the Illawarra where it was much cheaper. And he'd seen the ad and he was recently divorced. And he had his kids. And he thought, I will go to church with my kids. That'll be a good thing for my kids to do. He just thought he'd drop them off. But his kids said, no, you've got to come, Dad. And so he came there for his kids' sake, but he said, after two weeks, I realized this is actually for me. And after about six weeks, he just gave his life to Christ. Mark was divorced. Mark was a recovering alcoholic. That's what had cost him his marriage. Later on, I was to find that he was actually an addicted gambler. It cost him all his money. He used to travel up in the night to the Star Casino to play the pokies all the way from the Illawarra. And he came and confessed to me that he was in debt to $80,000 through the pokies. Now that picture there is marked just a couple of years ago because he's just finished theological college. And he became chaplain on the railways. And he's now about to become a senior minister, all things going well, in a couple of months in another part of Sydney. I can't mention it's another denomination. And I spoke to him yesterday. And I said, how are you going, Mark? And he said, you know, Jesus has just changed my life. He said, every night I read four chapters of the Bible because I just want to be like Jesus and follow him and trust him with everything I've got. And I commend that story to you as the reality of what it means to follow Christ and to find life in his name. Because that's what God does through Jesus when we receive him as our Lord and Saviour. And so let's go on this journey together and find life and follow him. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for this profound opening. And I pray, Lord, 
that you would open our hearts and minds so that we can see Jesus for who he is. The word of God, the son of God, the living saviour of the world. And may we be people who by believing find life eternal in his name. A life that starts now and goes on forever. Amen. We're now going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and Scott is going to come and lead us in that. Thank you, Scott.